When you're building a business, you can't carry anybody. There is no space to carry anybody. The people who got you here won't necessarily get you there. And so you're always looking for people around you who bring energy, who bring the ideas, who bring the next stage of thinking. Everything I talk about is about leadership. I'm not a technician. I can't write code, but my skill, if I have one, is in building a team and getting people to come with me on the journey. I'm super excited to be here with Kevin. Kevin Gaskell. Kevin Gaskell, former MD of Porsche and BMW. I think you have to be positive. I mean, anybody here who started their own company knows it's bloody hard work. I went from BMW where I had two PAs, I had a full-time chauffeur, a Regis office with a phone and a desk. And I can tell you after three months, I thought, what on earth have I done? And then you fight through it and you keep the dream alive. So it's about being positive. Welcome to the Redefined Podcast brought to you by The One Club, the world's first invite-only digital private members club. The ambition of this podcast is to explore the untold stories of entrepreneurs, athletes, influencers, and more. The interesting thing is that Kevin brings his own speaker introduction, so he is prepared. So my first question to Kevin is, Kevin, how did you prepare for this evening for you to share your story in front of what, 100 or so people? I mean, the, the, the truthful answer is I haven't prepared. Not for tonight, because this is an interview, and I'm being interviewed effectively by 100 people in a room. And I, I'm prepared to answer any question you want to ask me. So I've got 40 years now, heck, of business experience, leading companies, building companies, founding companies, and so I'm here just to talk about it. So anything you want to ask me, you can ask me, and I know we've got everything in the room from very early stage entrepreneurs. Um, just to put some scale on it, my smallest business today employs two people. So I don't just run big companies. My biggest business today um, was 12 people when I took it over. Very close. Very close. <laughs> my, my biggest company... Um, is now 200 employees and 400 contractors. Uh, but five years ago, um, that business was 12 people. It was failing. We built fiber networks. Tomorrow, I'm in the city to raise another 100 million investment, which we're, we're finalizing now. And that company, is we've grown from, well, we've grown to revenue 200x, not 200%, 200x in five years. So we're now the third biggest B2B fiber network business in the UK, having started with nothing but 12 people five years ago. So that's what I do, I build companies. I mean, absolutely, it deserves a clap, right? So much success right there. The way that this is gonna work is we are going to have questions throughout because I don't think it's fair to wait to the end. So I will invite questions as we have that discussion. Kevin, you lead your profile with Porsche, Lamborghini, and BMW. I mean, these are big household names and trailers that we've been watching on the telly. But you weren't born into success. So can you tell us what your background is, what you studied, and how you really even fell into these household names? Yeah, I went to a very normal, comprehensive school in a uh, nowhere village in North Wales. I grew up in North Wales. Um, and I was always determined to be an engineer. I wanted to be an engineer. And so I worked hard at school. I got 
decent A-levels, not, I didn't get any A's. Uh, my kids put me to shame now, but I got decent A-levels. I went to university. I applied to uh, five, um, what's the word, not very prestigious universities, because I didn't know if I'd get in. Nobody in my family had ever been to university, so I applied to five uh, red brick universities. I got accepted to Bradford. I went to Bradford. I did a degree in engineering. I loved it. I enjoyed every minute of it. I won a scholarship. They offered me um, a chance to go back and do an MBA. So I went back and I did an MBA because they paid for it. And um, I worked as an engineer for five years. Decided I wanted another string to my boat. Decided that that should probably be accountancy because that would give me a broader understanding of business. Um, so I joined a, a chemical company called Dow Corning as the company management accountant. Now, you're all very young people, so this won't mean anything to you. But I went for the interview as management accountant. I was offered the job. I panicked because I knew three parts of bugger all about accountancy at that point. And on the way home, I went to WH Smith's. That was in the days before the internet. And I bought two teach yourself accountancy books and spent six weeks learning how to do accounts. And I walked in as a company accountant. And I survived five years. I, I kind of enjoyed it. I studied accounting at night school. Then Porsche were looking for somebody who could read a blueprint and read a balance sheet. And I thought, well, I can do that. And I'm a bit of a car freak. I applied to Porsche. I got the job. I spent five years being promoted through Porsche. And then just when you think the world was OK, uh, Porsche fell apart. So to give you an idea, we were number 32 out of 32 in customer satisfaction. So we were the bottom. We had three years unsold new car inventory. We were losing 20% on everything we sold, and we had no money. And just when you think it can't get any worse, I was 32 years old, and they made me managing director. And I think they made me managing director because nobody else would do it. So I took over that company, and in four years, we went from number 32 to number one in customer satisfaction. We became the most profitable car company in the market. And it was a runaway success. And it was all about people. It was all about leading the team. Yeah, clear strategy, clear product strategy. Um, but that was that. BMW knocked on the door and said, we'd like to come run our business. That was a much bigger company, uh, 7,000 people. And I walked in there at the age of 36, 37. Um, and it was a business that thought it was doing well, but I thought it could do a lot better. Uh, they were growing at 3%. They gave me a plan, and they said, hey, we love what you did at Porsche, but that was all a bit rocky, wasn't it? I said, it wasn't rocky. We just changed a lot of stuff that needed changing. And they said, well, please don't knock this one off the rails. Here's the plan. Please grow this business at 3% per annum. And I looked, I thought, that's boring. Uh, we could do a lot better than that. And so, again, it was the same thing. of in Inviting the people on the journey, inviting the team to come and build something that's extraordinary. And over the next four years, instead of growing at 3%, we grew at 80 80%. And we grew operating profit by 500%. And my bosses in Germany, um, for the first two years, they fought me. They actually tried to stop me doing the stuff that we were doing because they thought it was all a bit wacky. It wasn't wacky. We were focusing on the customer. We changed the business to focus on the customer. And after a couple of years, they realized this stuff was really working well. And so they took it through the world, which was fine because, you know, we're part of a team. I got to the age of 40. I climb mountains, you've heard. I go and do crazy stuff. And uh, I went off an 
Everest. And you sit around for a long time waiting for the weather window. And I was sitting around thinking, I don't want to go back. I do not want to go back. And my wife, bless her, had said to me, in the way that only a wife can, well, you've turned into a boring old man, so it's about time you did something different. So I came back. I quit from BMW. And people couldn't believe it because we were riding the wave. We were number one in everything, and everything was wonderful and marvelous, and I was bored. Um, and all the rumors spread that I'd had a nervous breakdown. Uh, I'd been caught with my fingers in the till. Uh, I was shagging the chairman's wife and making a bad job of it. Was all these crazy stories came out. And the truth was, I just wanted to go and do my own. I wanted my own company. So I stepped out. I was very lucky. I met some Americans who wanted to bring a dot-com to Europe. They backed me. They gave me $25 million. Put $25 million in my account. There you go. Build as a company. And so we started building this company. After six months, they said, actually, we've changed our mind. We're going back to America. Can you send our $25 million back? And I said, no. I said, you can have $24 million, 850 or whatever it was, back. The rest I'm using to pay us for a year, because by then I'd pulled some people out of big companies. Um, and we converted that business into something we thought would work. And we sold that business six years later for 100 million quid. And I retired. And I went home and I said to my wife, same wife, um, we've just sold the business. She said, right. We don't live a fancy lifestyle. Genuinely, she's from Yorkshire. I'm from Cheshire. I went home and I said, we're done. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, we sold the company. I'm retired. She said, no, you're not. No, you're not. Half an hour later, somebody called me and said, I've got this idea for a business. So I started another company and I'm now on number 15, 16, I think. Gosh, that's, that's an incredible that's story. Life. Thank you for sharing. So for those who are in the room, I'd love to understand who we have here. So people who run their own businesses, can you raise your hand? Great. People who would like to run their own businesses, but right now circumstances don't allow, allow them to, can you raise your hand? Yeah? And people who work in more of a corporate nine-to-five profession. Great. There's no shame, right? It's not one of those things. It's uh, just, and I love the fact... And people who do more than one of those things. Exactly. Yeah, There's yeah. a few of our multi-hyphenated friends. Great. One thing that you see a lot of is entrepreneurs, and you've said it a few times when you're speaking, getting bored. Business people get bored. They want a new hustle. They want a new challenge. Would you say that in order to be a good business person, you have to be slightly delusional? I think you have to be slightly positive more than slightly i think you have to be optimistic i mean anybody here who started their own company knows it's bloody hard work i mean let's not let's not put too fine a point on it it is hard work and and i went from bmw where i had two pas i had a full-time chauffeur i had people to do anything i wanted for me to a regis office with a phone and a desk that was it and I can tell you, after three months, I thought, what on earth have I done? And then you fight through it, and you keep the dream alive. So it's about being positive and recognizing there's a lot of hard work in this. It's not easy. It's, not, it's simple if you've got a clear plan of where you want to be. That's simple, but it's not easy to get there. So how do you keep yourself motivated? There are people here who, regardless of their situation, are 
hustling in their careers for the next step? How do you stay motivated when you have competition or a lack of resources or a lack of wealth or you just feel like nothing is working? Yeah, but it's the same. I, I use the analogy of, of climbing mountains or walking to the pole or whatever it is. You have really bad days. You have really bad days. It's very, very hard work. It's very uncomfortable. And you look up that mountain and think, oh, my goodness, I've got another 15,000 feet to go. But then you realize that that day you've done 1,000 feet. So that's 1,000 feet done. So tomorrow it'll be 14,000 feet. So it's a case of keep recognizing within your business that you are making progress. And if you're not making progress, take a step back and have a look. But it is about self-starting. It is about self-motivation. It's also about having a team of people around you, working with you, who have energy. I, I, people talk to me about what do you do when you, when you inherit a team? Do you, do you go through the team? And I absolutely do. And in the old days, when I was running big corporates, if somebody wasn't hacking it or they didn't want to be there, I'd kind of spend years trying to get them. I don't do that now. If you don't want to be on this journey, that's fine. You're not a bad person, but let me help you go somewhere else. Because when you're, when you're building a business, you can't carry anybody. There is no space to carry anybody. And the other thing to remember is the people who got you here won't necessarily get you there. And so you're always looking for people around you who bring energy, who bring the ideas, who bring the next, the next stage of thinking. And, and everything I talk about is about leadership. I'm not a technician. I can't write code. I'm, a, I'm an okay accountant. I'm an okay engineer. But my skill, if I have one, is in building a team and getting people to come with me on the journey. And that leads me on to my next question. So one thing we're really proud of at One Club is the networks that we're building, the mentors that we have, the friends that are coming along this journey. How did you make the most of your networks, your friends, your mentors along in that journey, especially when you're going from not just one career to another, but actually you're starting from, to some extent, point zero and building your own business? Yeah, in the, f in the first stage, wh when I left BMW, I went from being in what was probably the premier position in the British motor industry to this guy sitting in an office on his own. And 95% of all the people who treated me really nicely when I was quote-unquote important never spoke to me again. 95%. They just went away. They didn't answer my phone calls. They didn't answer my emails. And BMW were really hard on me. BMW said to the... I, I was building a business to do an alternative... Uh, to provide an alternative way of, of supplying cars. And BMW said to my partners, business partners who were big companies, if you deal with him, because they were afraid that I was going to undermine them somehow. And they, they actually went out and said to the partners, if you deal with him, we'll stop, we'll cut your brand. We, we'll, you won't deal with us. And, you know, there's BMW and there's me. So it was really tough in the early stages. So what I needed to do was find other people, find other people who would be, as, um, what's the right word? As innovative or as free invested. thinking. Pardon? Invested in the idea? Yeah, well, invested in thinking that there was a different way of doing stuff. Actually, f finding people who are prepared to think differently. And that's what we did. And that's how the business became a success. Because we thought differently. We helped people to think differently. Um, but it is about finding that network. 
it is about having a mentor or people you can speak to. And I say, I knew a lot of people. 95% of them never spoke to me. And I bumped into one of them, one guy who cut me off dead. This is 20 years ago. And I bumped into him in a restaurant the other day. And he'd forgotten he cut me. Kev, great to see you. And I thought, you bleep. You didn't speak to me for five years. And now, you, you know, suddenly you're all over me again. So it's finding those people who you can trust. Get good people around you. And so, of course, we're all here today. I'd encourage you to connect with the people next to you, to exchange contact details and to stay in touch. That's one thing that the One Club is really good at, and that's why we're bringing these events together for you all to really build up that network, especially if you don't have it. So you've talked a lot about your successes. You've spoken about your journey. I want to know, give me a time where you faced not a challenge just climbing a mountain, but a real business failure and challenge and how you overcome that. Because... The truth is that people are ready to start a business. Scaling a business is harder. The truth is that today in TikTok, it seems really easy to start a business and to scale, but actually we don't talk about our failures or our mistakes or our learnings as much as we do as our successes. So I'm not just here being like, give me your success reel. I want to know behind, behind the Kevin who comes and speaks now and runs a handful of businesses, what about the moments where you really, really failed and you didn't, me you didn't meet your measure of success. What do you do then? Yeah, what you do is you take a step back and take a deep breath and look at it again. And it never stops. I mean, I promise you it never stops. I've just said that the fiber business that I'm building at the minute that's now 200 plus 400, you know, with six, 700 people, where tomorrow we're in the city to hopefully sign the paperwork for the next investment into the company. Um, Last month, the CEO, I'm chairman now, last month the CEO and, and I are sitting there working out how we're going to get through month end because we've got no cash. So it never, it, it, it's never that easy in growing a business. You know, when it gets to the point where the business is kicking off cash, well, for me, the challenge is gone then. I get bored then. I want to go something else. But you, if you want to build a business and scale a business, you do have to recognize that, it is, it is going up that mountain. And, and you have to be able, when it goes wrong, to step back. I mean, I've had some that have gone really wrong. Um, I was telling Sonia, I had one in South Africa. I've got three companies in South Africa. And I had one where the CEO stole all the money. He took about $20 million and disappeared. And um, I didn't know. I, 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 was, I was just an investor. I'd been mentoring him. He's a bit of a strange guy. And, and this is public. This is public. There's, uh, there's a journalist written a book about this because this guy ran off with a lot of money, but he made the mistake of getting investment from certain people in New York who you don't want to upset, if I just say that. And they caught him. And I think he was very lucky that the police got him out of that situation. Now, he wasn't so lucky because he got four years in jail. But that business disintegrated. It fell apart. What we did was we took the team and we stepped back and we said, hang on a minute, we've got no money. Can we restructure this business in a way that we can rescue the assets we have? And that's what we did. We took the business apart. We looked at an alternative way of doing it. I put in, um, I mean, not a huge, some money, but not a huge, put in about 100,000 pounds to just float the business for the next three months. 
and we rebuilt it. And we ended up selling that company uh, three years ago. It's probably just before the pandemic. We sold it to MailChimp. Um, so we got, we had a business that was dead. We resurrected it, great team, sold it to MailChimp. I got some of my money back, but the management team made a chunk of money, which was great. So it's, it's about recognizing, you know, people say to me, this company's dead or this company's failing. And I say, when I go in and have a look, I say, you know, it's a long way from failing. We're having a tough time, but we're a long way from failing. And so it's about managing your way through those crises. And they do keep coming. I repeat the point about the fiber network business. We're the third biggest in the country now, but we still have our little crises. My other companies, I've got seven businesses at the moment, and some of those have ex existential crises. But it's a case, stand back, how do we get through it? You know, it's managing all the normal stuff. How do you get the cost base right down? One of my businesses in the pandemic, we, we got out of the office, everyone went home, we changed the platform, we ripped cost out of that business, absolutely ripped cost out of it because it did not have the cash flow to support the assets that, and the cost base it had. Today, that company's growing again. We don't yet have an office, but we will have. But it was about thinking differently. It's about being open taking the ego out of it you know we had a really nice office yeah we can't afford it let's get out the landlord wants this much of a penalty well let's go and have a fight get the penalty down and pay it because your first loss is your cheapest loss we could have tried and kept going for six months or 12 months we'd have paid 12 months rent we'd have still had to pay a penalty so it's about taking practical steps when it goes wrong to find a way through it and, and I say take the ego out of it there's no space for ego. Make the decision that gets you a thousand feet further up that mountain. That's super healthy. And honestly, I feel like you're speaking to me directly when you say that, because as we were saying, people feel stuck. They feel like they don't have to scale businesses. And actually, one thing that I've recognized outside of pivoting and working hard and being resilient and carrying on, one thing that entrepreneurs really struggle with right now, we know because you've mentioned it to us through our various forums, is that FOMO element, the fear of missing out, the fear of missing out on investment or a business opportunity or what your friends are doing or and the shiny object syndrome that, oh, that looks good. I'm going to go and pivot my business into AI because AI seems to be everything right now, not as an example, not actually knowing what you're doing. How do you, or, you know, I guess two questions. One is, did you ever have one of those, that's something shiny, I'm going to go grab it and it didn't really turn out to be where it needed to. And second is, how do you stay focused and driven and kind of in your lane when we have so many options and so many shiny things and so many pivots that a business can create? Sometimes the overload of information actually becomes quite distracting. Yeah. Um, for me, it's about clarity of purpose. It's about understanding what success looks like and clarity of purpose. So the, my first tech business, um, you've all seen Kazoo now and and what's the other one called uh cinch and all these and listen i'm a skeptic when kazoo launched uh they floated a valuation of seven billion seven billion dollars and what do they do i'm sorry if you guys are investors in it but they sell a few used cars there's nothing clever there and and i stood up two years ago whenever it was and said this business is doing nothing clever because they're trying to do they're trying to grab the shiny things 
what they didn't do was look look at where the opportunity is and that's why now their their recent valuation is 40 million so they've lost 99.5 percent of their value because they're not clear about what they're setting out to achieve they were going to sell online then they built basically car dealerships and then they went into other countries and then they sponsored every football team in the land and then they realized whoops that doesn't work so they've got out of the other countries they got rid of their dealerships and they're all going backwards again that's not a pop at kazoo I, I, I think it's a poor business model but the point is they were trying to do everything for everybody and and there was nothing new there so what we try to do in our businesses is be really clear what is it precisely we're going to do? And, and let me stick with a fiber business that I keep talking about. Everybody thinks you build fiber networks to people's doors. Everyone wants broadband. And if you look in the streets, particularly around London, G Networks, Vorbos, uh, City Fiber, there's a hundred of them all fighting each other for your home broadband. And we said, we're not going there. That's, 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 that's not a game that anybody's going to win easily. So what we'll do is we'll take a step back because these guys all have to feed into core networks somewhere, the big pipes. So we'll build the big pipes, and then they'll come to us. So people say to me, are you frightened of 6G? No. Fantastic, because your phone speaks to a 6G mask. Where does that data go? It goes down the mast into a fiber. I own the fiber. So I'm, I'm very pleased when, when there's more data going through these things. But the point I'm making is this. We're very precise about what we do. And we don't chase the shiny things. And we've had investors come to us and say, I'll put 100 million in, 200 million in. I want you to go and chase the broadband market. We say, we're not doing it. Not doing it. Not interested. Because it's super, super competitive. We do what we do and we do it really well. And that's where we'll stay. And, you know, we're strange business now. We're profitable. If you go and look at fiber businesses, very few of them make any money. We make money. So it's about being very clear about what you do. Be fantastic at what you do. Be world-class at what you do and do it. And if you get better, bigger will come. That's my view. Just get better at what you do. But do something that's very precise and has a real genuine benefit for the consumer and stick with it. If it's not selling, then question, are you in the right place? But if it's selling, stick with it. Well, I think that's our homework task, isn't it? Everyone go figure out what's that one thing they're good at, what they can improve on. And if you want to share it across our forum so our network can help you, please do that. What I've really taken away from the first half is network well, focus on what it is your purpose is, define that measure of success, be clear, bring the right people along in the journey, fail fast, learn faster, fire people even faster if you have to. But most importantly, know what your North Star is. And if any time you get a little bit distracted, take a step back and think, right, what can I be doing? What can I be doing differently? But most importantly, think outside of the box. So before I start inviting audience questions in, because I definitely don't want to take up all the space, this is called the Redefined Podcast. So I want to know, when you started working at Porsche, and then when you went to BMW, and now when you work for your own business, what did you define as your measure of success and how has that changed as you and your experiences changed? Uh, what I define as a measure of success is becoming world-class at what we do. And, and I said to somebody yesterday, I was talking about it yesterday, and they said, what is it that inspires you? I was asked, what is it that inspires you? 
I said, what inspires me is seeing people be successful around me. So, and I often say young people, because you're all younger than me. So I say, seeing young people be successful is actually, to me, very inspiring. Because if you're success, if we're in a team together and you're successful, we're all successful. Uh, and success for me now is, is about saying, uh, uh, inviting people on the journey to world class and then saying, we've created something that is world class. And that's exciting. And, but I repeat the point, get better and bigger will come. And the, the money, the, the wealth comes from being better at it. Don't chase the money. Don't chase the wealth. The wealth comes as a result of being really good at what you do. This is top advice for someone who has created billions of shareholder value. Before we go on to your book, before we go into more of your business, before we go into more of the personal life of what makes Kevin, I would love to open up to the floor and see if anyone has a question to ask or if anyone is dying to make that statement. We're only going to take a couple and then we'll have some more towards the end, but I appreciate that halfway is where it's going to go. One hand here. Oh, don't all fight at once. Um, let's start here, and then I will let Akshay speak the other one so that I am not biased. Uh, I, didn't, I wasn't expecting the mic, but um, you spoke a lot about people. Um, I, it's a two-part question. What's the most important hire? And apart from believing in, in the dream, what would you say is the most important quality in a hire? So what's the most important hire? Well, I was going to say what, was your fir- what, what's, what would you say is your first hire, but... I suppose more interesting is what is most important hire. Well, you've got to have somebody. So I would say there are two. You've got to have somebody who's good with the numbers. You've got to have a finance person and, and be able to trust them implicitly. You, they've got to be really good at managing the finance of a business because if you're a startup, finances are going to be rocky. And so I have a guy who I work with. I've worked with him now for... 22 years and he's my go-to man. He doesn't always work in the businesses but when I start in putting systems in, I bring Dan over or I took over uh, the fibre business I keep talking about. There was a big hole in its accounts and I couldn't find it and I brought Dan over. He lives in Switzerland and I said, there's something wrong here and I don't know what it is. Help me. And we found out money was leaking out of the company in illicit ways. Let's put it that way. So having a having a finance guy is critical the other is having having somebody with and I say a young mind because it's not necessarily being young but people with a young mind who can challenge and question because the danger is you get stuck in a, a in a thought rut and you need people who will challenge you and force you to justify that the way you're going is the right way so if I can get that creativity, that innovation in the team, then we can go. We can run. Yeah, the second part was the most important quality within those, hi- um, within those hires. Yeah, it's uh, integrity is, is key. Old-fashioned, can I trust them? And then the second one is stamina. You know, this anybody who builds a billion-dollar company in a year is really very, 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 very lucky or a liar. Most companies takes a long time. And, and I reckon it's three years before usually I even turn a, turn a profit. And it's the ability to keep going, 
to get up every morning and keep going and, and fight through and fight through and fight through. It's that perseverance, that stamina. You need that. One more question. I'm going to let Vicky pick, though. Um, hi, Kevin. Um, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I hear you if, you if you speak up, I can hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you now. Okay, great. Kevin, talk to us about the value of mindset. I think something that I looked at your profile, you, you talked about you know what you want, you said belief, and you said commitment. Yeah. I want to I define those three, especially the belief element of it. Um, and my other question is, behind the scenes, to be that sort of a person, you've got to have a routine. What was your routine you know, early on when you were really successful, and even today? trying to think how to answer that so the routine let's start with the routine my my personal routine is my private routine and my business routine so today I chair the companies and my business routine is that I spend at least two days every month with each of the businesses not always two full days but they see me I am visible. I am not some remote chairman. And, and so that's my, that, that is the process I use because communication is critical. Two-way. I can say to them what I feel, where we could go, how we could take the business, and they can speak to me with their ideas and their thoughts and their experience. So that communication is critical. Personally, I spend two days a month. My personal routine is I'm not an early starter. I was saying to Sonia, I don't typically start work before 10 in the morning, but I get up early and I train. I train every day, pretty much every day. I do some physical exercise because I'm an old man and I still want to do my adventure, so I have to stay fit. So I tend to train for an hour and a half in the morning. I'll read the newspapers um, and then I start work about 10 o'clock. But I work then until 10 at night. I, have a, I, have a, I try to make sure that t when it gets to 10 o'clock at night, I walk out of my office. And, and that's, how I, that's how I work. I'm, a, I'm an owl, not a lark. In terms of the mindset, I am looking for people. I'm looking to work with people who, can be com who are committed to what it is that we're setting out to achieve. Because I, I said a minute ago, my friend here, you need to have that stamina, that perseverance. Anybody here who's starting a business knows it's blinking hard work, and it does go up and it does go down, and we know that, and you have a bad day, and then you have a great day. A customer will sign an order, you have a great day. So I'm looking for people who've got a mindset which is honest and open and transparent, but challenging, challenging. I want people who will tell me when I'm wrong, I want people who will fight for the cause. And, and just to be clear, um, I, I choose never to work in a PLC. I'm not interested in a public company. You spend all your time managing these guys around this area here, you know? Look outside, those big buildings with very expensive overheads. Why should I spend my time paying their overheads? I'm not interested. So I run private companies, 
and I make sure that within my companies, all of the staff are rewarded. So we have an equity pool for everybody. So when we sell a business, as, that's my plan. I build companies, I sell them. And when I sell them, everybody in the company gets a share because I believe in sharing it. I don't want people who try and calculate stock value every day. What I want are people who say, how do we become world-class? So the mindset I'm looking for is, how do we become world-class? And we'll talk, in a, we'll talk in a minute about the book, because in here, I talk about mindset, what it takes to be world champions. Absolutely. Before we get on to the book, and before we carry on in part two, you raised the point earlier that you had a discussion with your wife, and you said, look, I'm tired, I'm bored, I've retired. And she was like, no, 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 you're not. And your wife is also that person who can be quite frank with you. Plenty of people who are running businesses or thinking about, you know, hustling and getting kind of their side hustle on, they have to also manage real life relationships, be that dating, seeing, marriage, family, kids, solo life, whatever that might be. How do you find that balance? How do you manage a relationship for a relationship itself and not bring your business self into it? How do you give people the time of day, which is really crucial, but also how do you make sure that you listen to other people's opinions who don't work with you nine to five and take on what they have to say because you've got a wife, you've got two kids, you've got grandkids, you know, but you're very busy as a man. Yeah, I, 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 and it's not just my wife. I mean, I, I've been married for 40 years. It's not just my wife. There are other people around me. My dad, my dad's 86 and he still plays golf three times a week and he still tells me how to run companies. Never run a company in his life. But he's got a lot of common sense. And he can see when I'm stressed, I go and see him. He can see when I'm tired. And uh, I've got friends who are very honest with me. I've got other investors who are very close to me, who know me. And we spark off each other. And, and I do try and keep the balance. I just told you, I work 10 till 10, five days a week, and I work at least at least half a day each weekend. Um, but I choose to do it because I enjoy it. I have a lovely home. I have a lovely office at home. And I choose to go in there because it's my happy place. I'm doing what I love doing. Now, as I get older, I get tired, and I, and I do start to ask myself, how long do I want to do this for? Um, so now I'm doing other things. I'm speaking at conferences. I'm writing books. I'm doing other things, and quietly I'm saying that as I sell off my companies, I'm not starting new ones. I, I, I've been doing it a long time. So I'm quietly, quietly, I've kind of got a five-year plan to run down, run down. But I'll still write books. I'll still speak at conferences. So I need people around me who understand the kind of person I am. And that's the truth of it. So if you're looking for a partner, if you don't have one, you need to find somebody who understands you. And, um, you know, I, I, I meet people who's, who, who open up and say, you know, my, my husband or my wife thinks I work too much or they don't want me coming on these expeditions or whatever it is. That must be really tough. It must be really tough. I'm fortunate. I, I have the people around me who are prepared to support what I do because what I do is a bit extreme in the workspace work and in the social space. Before we get onto your book and we invite audience questions, I've got two questions. One is, 
you touch an investment. Now, so many of us here thinking of raising investment, going out and figuring out money, but the situation is quite dire. It's really difficult. You've said that yourself. What are some top tips that we should look out for when we are thinking of raising investment, going and giving our equity or bringing people to the business table with us? So the first thing I'd say is just remember if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're building your own company, you can only sell your equity once. Just remember that. Too many entrepreneurs are very happy to take money and give a big chunk of their equity in exchange. Think really, really carefully about what you want money for. I've built a number of companies with no money. No money. Very small amounts of money. And so this thing about raising shed loads of cash, you know, ask yourself and challenge yourself, do you need that? When you're going to, if you're going out to speak to investors, be very clear about what kind of investor you want. If it's angels, make sure you fit the criteria that they're looking for. Don't waste your time. Don't waste their time. Be really precise. Be completely prepared. I've stopped watching Dragon's Den. I stopped watching it 10 years ago because I couldn't stand watching one more entrepreneur walk in there and, and the dragon says, tell us your, three, your next three years revenue or your current revenue and then, then, then. And they stand there scratching their head and you think, bloody hell, if you don't know that, the kind of questions that you will be asked, if anyone hasn't yet been through this, before anybody puts money into your company, due diligence can take weeks and weeks and months. And they will ask you every single detail. If you don't know it, you won't get the cash. So make sure you're fully prepared before you speak to any potential investor. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. Carry on running your business on no cash. Find ways to do it on minimum cash. Find ways. I'm building my latest platform in South Africa. It's costing me a tenth. It's a technology platform. It's costing me a tenth of what it would cost me in this country. They're great. They speak English. They're highly skilled. It's same time zone except for one hour. It, look for ways of doing this that is different. Find ways to do it that are cost efficient. Do you need an office? No. Do you need fancy furniture? No. It's, it's find ways to do it, ideally at first without investors. When you need an investor, be prepared. That's my advice. Yeah, and throughout you've said think differently, be quite focused, you know, cut the waste where need to be and just have that driving mentality. But I would say in 2023, things are a little bit different. What I mean by that is we're at a conflict between do we build our business first or do we build our personal brand first? Do we become a business influencer of some kind and then the money will come to us? Or do we build a business quietly in the background and then we will prosper? What are your thoughts on this constant kind of navigation between personal brand building, business building, building publicly, building secretly, and all the other kind of builds that are existing because social media has come in, taken over the way that business is now run? Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, there are influencers um, and your, your social media brand is important because people will look they will go and check. And, you know, we've all heard the stories. I had a big night out and I got plastered and I put it all over Facebook. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Keep your private life private. 
but when you're building your presence on social media, think of it as part of building for the long term. As part, it is part of who you are, and people can go and find it very easily. So your, your, your social media is, is key, but I believe the business is more important. And, and don't forget, any investor, the first thing I look at if I invest in a company, and please don't all come to me afterwards for money. I haven't got any at the minute. I'm completely invested. But the first thing I, I do is I look at the person. I check out the, I, I meet the person. And we sit and we talk. And I want to know the person. I, yeah, we can talk about the business afterwards. But tell me what, what, what inspires you. What fires you up. What is, what is it you want to do? Because when the going gets tough, I don't want you to down tools and disappear with my money. Not, you know, you leave my money in the business. I don't want that. I need to know that you're in this for the long run because it is a long run. And so obviously our colleague spoke about mindset earlier. You've touched on the fact that you are an author. We've spoken about business. I'm going to invite questions in just a second. But tell us about your book. Why did you write a book? Right, that's the actual first question is why. Don't you have enough things going on in your plate? Like, do you just want to add something else? Is it for fame, for glory, for money? Well, the book, the book's a bit of an experiment. Or was it, it reflected an experiment. And what it was, um, because Matt and I, Matt's my son, Matt and I had walked to the poles, climbed the big mountains, done this, that, and the other. And I was speaking at a conference, and somebody said to me, what's your next adventure? And I didn't have one planned. But I'd been speaking to a friend of mine, literally on the same bill at this conference, and he'd, he'd just rowed the Atlantic. And he said, Kev, you'd love it. And I said, Peter, I don't know anything about rowing. I don't know anything about the sea. No, no, you'd love it, you'd love it. So like an idiot, when I was asked the question, I said, well, I'm thinking of rowing the Atlantic. Anybody want to come with me? So anybody want to come with me? We got, yeah, we've got a couple. Okay. Hamza. Too late. I've done it now. But I am going to row the Pacific. So we decided, I decided I was going to row the Atlantic. And one of the guys in the audience came to me and said, I'll come with you. And we built a team. And the, 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 the point was, rowing the Atlantic is pretty challenging. And we were going in winter, so it's doubly challenging. And we go from Spain to Antigua. And you're going across 100 million square miles of water. And the waves are as big as this building, and you've got to get through it. And we didn't know anything about rowing. So I took the approach that we would run it like a business project. And so the basis of the book is, on one side of the book, on one page, one side of the page, you get the adventure story of what it's like to be out at sea in a rowing boat that would fit here. And there's no support. People say, do you have a support boat? No, it just does. It just does in this rowing boat. And on the other side of the page, what lessons came out of that? Now, just to make it more interesting, the guys I was sharing the boat with, and one of whom was my son, even though when I said to him, Matt, do you want to row the Atlantic? He said, no. I said, why not? He said, it's pain, pain, and more pain, and then you die. I said, yeah, but other than that, no. But he changed his mind, which I'm delighted. He came in the boat. And then these young guys, and they're all half my age. There's five of us in this little boat. They're all half my age. And they said, oh, Kev, we want to break the world record. And I looked at them, and I said, are you serious? And they said, yeah, we want to break the world record for the fastest ever crossing. 
Now, there's Olympian rowers have done this, and I said, forget it, forget it. Guys, I'm an old man. We'll do it, and then you dump me out of the boat and come back next year with another 28-year-old in, and you go and break the world record. They said, no, no, we're going to break the world record. So the story of the book is, how do you take a business approach, a process, optimization, efficiency, team building, mindset, mindset, willpower, and how do you put that together and then go out and break the world record? And that's what we did. So we broke the world record for the fastest crossing. We hold the Guinness Book of Records, fastest crossing. And so that's, that's the book. And it's, it is about my belief that impossible, people will tell you it's impossible. And my response to that is impossible is just your opinion. So everyone told me it was impossible, but we did it anyway. And I, I was told that when I started the first technology company, oh, that'll never work. It's already over here. Yeah, okay, it didn't work so well. We only sold it for 100 million. It's just your opinion. So the story of the book is that. And I have two copies here which I'd be very pleased to give away tonight. So is there anybody in the room? Oh, you can all buy it on Amazon. I haven't finished the sentence yet. Is there anybody in the room whose birthday it is tonight? And don't lie, because I'm going to check your driving license. Anybody whose birthday it is tonight? What about yeah, one month? Hang on, you're close. Two weeks ago. Oh, oh. Okay, the closest to to today. Two days. Two days. Okay, anyone close? Two days, three days, four days. It's turned into an auction. Three days, going three days, three, three days, days once, four days, five oh. days, no, two we got, days. We got We've got another book. Here. We've got a guy over here. Five three, days, six three days, days, seven days. No, we've got one over here. Three days, two days. Today. Okay. Your today. birthday's today. Happy birthday. You're too polite. Happy birthday. Amazing. So that yeah. brings us on nicely to our people. Audience, the questions on the floor are yours. Who has a burning question? I'm actually firstly going to go for the dude at the back whose arm was fully I'll come up. To you because you're determined. And then we'll come here and then, and then we'll kind of entertain this side a little bit. Hello. Um, hi, Kevin. Hello. Hello. Uh, hello. Um, don't know if you can actually see me, but <laughs> I'm in I the I can back. see you. All yeah, right, I cool. can see you. All right, good. Um, it, 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 I guess more a practical question. So I guess when looking at working with different companies and coming in and maybe helping out, you know, maybe improving their, their profitability, maybe looking at their run rate and saying, okay, maybe we can do this. Do you have a particular method that you utilize um, again, it might be difficult comparing the, you know, the size of the business or anything like that, but do you have a method that you go in and say, right, I'm going to try and make this business more profitable. How do I do this? You know, do, you, do you have anything that you can, wisdom-wise you can give? Yes, yes, I have an approach. I don't talk about profit at any point. What I say to the team is, what does success look like? Forget what we've got. What does success look like? And then I invite them to dream. And I say to them, if I could give you, and they often say to me, oh, we're going to grow the business at 4%. And 
I say, great, 4%, boring. If I could give you every resource you need, people, process, money, technology, how would you grow this business at 40%? And they look at me and they go, oh, 40%. Ooh. And then I say, okay, look, I'll make it easy. And I do this in a workshop environment. It's not embarrassing people in front of their colleagues. We do it in a workshop environment. Because I do this frequently, go into businesses and help them to change. And I say, look, forget the 40%, 400%. And they look at me and say, you're crazy. I say, yeah, a lot of people told me I'm crazy, but strangely enough, we get there. What would you do to get 400%? And I want them to start dreaming, to start thinking, to get out of this rut they're in that we're not quite delivering our 3%. Forget 3%. Forget it. And I get them to think about their whole business, and we take it apart and put it back together again. And I, I, I did that in a boat company a few years ago. Ten years of losses. Ten years. And we got it back in profit in 14 months with the same people. Didn't change anybody. What we changed was the mindset. We got the belief back that we could do this. They'd gone through 13 rounds of redundancy. And we got that business back in profit in 14 months. Same people, same product. Mindset. That's what I do. I do have an approach. I have another book that's called Inspired Leadership. Um, it's out of print at the minute because I'm currently writing the next edition. And, and in there, I, I, I lay out the process. You can take it. You can buy the book probably secondhand. There might be some still left. But the new one comes out next year. But it has an approach. And all the tools are in there. I, gi I give you for 15 quid or whatever it is, you get the whole thing. All the tools. It's all there. Hi. Um, as a young entrepreneur... Right up to your mouth. Can you hear me now? Baby. Right <laughs> up to your mouth. Um, as for young entrepreneurs, what are the major pitfalls many get into? And how would you suggest avoiding them? What are the major pitfalls? Yeah. How long have we got? <laughs> I mean, seriously, how long? Because um, the major pitfalls are not planning, not having clarity on what you want to deliver for your customers, not organizing yourself in a structured and thoughtful manner to start to deliver it, not getting people around you who will support you, the pitfalls are enormous. They're enormous. Um, you've, it, it, it's about applying common sense. A lot of the time, common sense. So I, I had no time for the dot-com billionaires who said, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to raise 50 million pounds. Yeah, well, good luck. What are you going to spend it on? It's about being consistent and being clear and having that plan. Have that plan. And don't give up when it goes wrong. Because I tell you all, it'll go wrong. And today you'll have a shit day. And then tomorrow you'll have a great day. And the day after you'll have a great day, then you'll have another bad day. Doesn't matter. When it goes wrong, that's an opportunity to learn. Back off. Look at it. What did we get wrong? What did we get wrong there? Let's learn from it. Let's not make the same mistake again. And then let's go. Thank you. Um, my biases are going to kick in, and I'm going to invite a lady to ask a question, please. If that's okay, little bias. Thank you. Thank you. 
Hi, Kevin. Hello, hello. You've often came to businesses which others has deemed as unfixable, and you've turned them profitable. So I wanted to say, in your opinion, is there such a thing as an unfixable business? And if so, what's like the one thing you cannot fix? Um, six months ago, nine months ago, whenever it was, <laughs> I said, and you can quote me, Twitter is not fixable. That's my opinion. And, and I've worked with Elon Musk. I helped him build his European dealer network and appoint his team. He is no smarter than anyone in this room. He's got bigger cojones, and he believes himself. And for some reason, the investors keep throwing millions and millions and millions at him. But he has not got the leadership skill to fix Twitter X. So, you know, in terms of an unfixable, yes, there are unfixable businesses. Business models become obsolete. Um, the, the biggest difference is the leadership. And I keep saying the same thing over and over. Clarity. Where are we going? What does success look like? And you have to be able to describe it. And if you come into one of our companies, we write down what success looks like. And it's not 10 million pound profit. It's not numbers. It's to produce this experience. The biggest learning I had at Porsche was when I realized we didn't sell cars. We don't sell cars. We don't sell cars. You want a car? Go buy a Golf. Golf's a fantastic car. We were selling an experience. And it took me a while to realize that. But once I realized it, then we took off. We absolutely took off. And now it's about leadership. And not just my leadership. I had a great marketing director who understood that. So, yeah, and today, you heard it here. For, I bought a Porsche today. I drove it home today, sitting at the train station. It was a great experience. And the guy, I don't say, hey, do you know who I am? The guy had no idea that I used to wear for Porsche. Not a clue. Until I picked it up today and somebody had spotted me. And then he knew. But up until then, the experience had been wonderful. And I was watching the experience and enjoying the experience. Leadership, love your customers, create the culture of belief. Thank you. So some five final fireside chat questions. When you are having a bad day, what is your go-to comfort food? When I'm having a bad day, particularly if I'm working in my home office, I don't go to food. What I do, I've got a collection of guitars. And what I do is I pick up one of my guitars, I turn my amp up, and I make a lot of noise. And uh, <laughs> I play the guitar for, I don't know, half an hour or so to get it out of my system. And then I'll, I'll walk through to the kitchen, and my wife said, oh, what went wrong today then? Because she knows. That's when I make a noise. Um, my comfort food, I like steak and chips, actually. I like steak and chips. Well, we're in a good place. Yeah. What is the one business that you wish you would have thought of? That I'd thought of? That you would have thought of, that you would have founded, that you would have actually created? What is that one business where you're like, ah, I wish I was the legacy founder for that? Yeah, I, listen, I think Amazon is an amazing company. I think their management of some of the people appears to be pretty rocky at times. I mean, I, I don't know how much to believe. 
but I'd like to think that if I were running it, then my staff relationships would be a heck of a lot better. But, you know, hats off to, um, to the guy who built that to one. the team. Yeah. What is the one book that you would recommend for everyone to read? Fiction or non-fiction, business or not business related? Um, the one book. There's a, there's a book called The Best, the Best Darn Ship in the Navy. And it's by a guy called Abrishoff, I think. Abrishoff. And he goes through. He, he took on a... He was American naval captain. And he took on a boat that was performing very badly and turned it into the best ship in the Navy. And it's a masterclass in people, leadership, and focus. And he talks about how he treated the people and how they came on board. And it's just a great book. Great. The best darn ship in the Navy. What is your most memorable travel destination? Um, the North Pole. Because I got to the North Pole, and we have a satellite phone, and I phoned home, and I phoned, and nobody answered. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. And I phoned again, and nobody answered. And I phoned again, nobody answered. And eventually, my wife picked the phone up, and I said, guess where I am? She said, yeah, where are you? <laughs> I said, I'm standing at the North Pole. She said, oh, that's nice. I've got to go now. I've got to get the kids to school. That's the kind of, exactly. My last question is, what is the last TV show that you binged? Um, uh, the Lincoln Lawyer was the last one I binged. And before that, um, written by the same guy, uh, Bosch. Bosch. Well, thank you. I mean, some key takeaways that I've taken away, have clarity, focus, and purpose. Know what your North Star is, adapt, pivot as you go along, but bring people on that journey. Failure is a key to success, but it's how you make your failure work for you that really counts. If you're having a bad day, take a step back and take stock. It happens to everyone. There is no such thing as an unfixable business per se, but it's definitely about mentality, mindset, and keeping yourself moving and have a really strong network of friends, family, relationship, mentors, or friends around you. And I think I said friends twice, but it is that important. Who are not just going to tell you that you're doing a great job, but who are going to call you out and say, you are terrible right now. Take a step back. Who are going to say no to you and really not just going to be there for the good days, but most definitely for the bad times. On that note, everyone, please let's have a big round of applause for our guest today, Kevin. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Redefined podcast. We want to bring you the best stories from the top change makers across the globe. To make that possible, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a comment or review. It really is that simple. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you for the next episode.